As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. That on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. It's an incredible deal. There's some great writing going on at The Athletic all the time. You can also listen to this podcast ad-free on The Athletic app if you are a subscriber. So go do that. I'm here with Alex Spears. We've, we've got a little bit better sample of what's going on in the NBA, Al. Tell me tell me what happened this week. <laughs> Andrew, every week you say uh, you're here with Alex Spears. This week, it is in fact true. It is our first live in Slam person. and Jam pod. I know. Only live for us. No fans here. <laughs> yeah. In person Slam and Jam. It, does, uh, it feels a little different. It feels good. Uh, but what a week it was, Andrew. It all started last Friday night. With the Utah Jazz continuing their surprising early season play with a 132-126 overtime win in Minnesota. For the Jazz, they are tied atop the Western Conference with the Blazers as of Friday morning, both with a 4-1 and record. The Jazz are getting contributions up and down the roster. Yep. None bigger than Lowry Markkinen, who has yep. been a bright spot, putting up averages of 22-9 and for Utah. For the Wolves... It's been a disappointing 3-2 and two start considering their opponents have been OKC twice, San Antonio twice, and the Jets. Maybe the Wolves can prove something to us on Friday night when they face the, let's see here, 0-4 Lakers. <laughs> okay. Early season test. It's a big test for both teams. Uh, on Saturday, it was the official start of panic season. This year, the early leaders in panics per game are the Philadelphia 76ers. Ooh, Philly lost to the San Antonio Spurs at home, yeah. one fourteen to one hundred five on Saturday. Later in the week, they would lose convincingly to the Toronto Raptors, bringing their win loss record to one and four. There are many reasons for the Sixers' disappointing start, including perimeter defense, transition defense, <laughs> defense, defense. Uh, is Doc Rivers on the hot seat? Considering it's their only real move at this point, I would say probably. Yeah. On Sunday, the Cavs beat the Wizards one seventeen to one hundred seven in overtime. Donovan Mitchell had thirty seven. 
in the win with Darius Garland out, and the Cavs are now 3-1 with a marquee matchup at Boston on Friday night. On Monday, the Memphis Grizzlies defeated the Brooklyn Nets 134-124. John Morant and Desmond Bain both had 38 points, while Kyrie and KD both had 37 points. That's sort of neat. First time since 1983. Really? That opposing teams have had both players score above 35. Wow! Yeah. That's an Andrew stat. <laughs> uh, the Grizzlies appear to have picked up right where they left off last season, while the Nets sort of did as well. Uh, they're one and four. They have the 30th ranked defense and the 17th ranked offense. So bad. Not great. On Tuesday, the Phoenix Suns, winner of the preseason Bad Vibes Award, blew out the Golden State Warriors 134 to 105 to move to three and one. Devin Booker has had a blistering start to the new season, scoring 37 against the Warriors and averaging 32.5 per game. The highlight of the game, however, was something we had never seen before. Our favorite sea captain, Clay Thompson, received his first career ejection after he he would not stop telling Devin Booker that he has four rings. Just over and over. (laughs) Four rings. Four rings. Four rings. For one night at least, Clay Thompson's ring total doubled the number of points he scored in a basketball game as he exited with two points on one of eight shooting. On Wednesday night, the New York Knicks won their third in a row with a 134-131 overtime win against Charlotte. The Knicks have been impressive in their 3-1 start, led by star free agent signing Jalen Brunson, who is averaging 20-9 while shooting 52-41-85 from the field. Now, the Knicks' schedule has not exactly been a murderous row. Yeah. Their wins are over Detroit, Orlando, and Charlotte. That's all about to change, Andrew. Over the next week, the Knicks will play Milwaukee, Cleveland, Atlanta, Philly, and Boston. Are the Knicks for real? We're about to find out. Let's find out. Finally, on Thursday, the NBA announced that all of Victor Wembenyama's games will be streamed on the NBA app. This comes just one week after NBA Commissioner Adam Silver reiterated the NBA's hyper-focus on the, quote, serious tanking issue. They're so serious, Andrew. So serious is the league about tanking that they are streaming every game of the likely number one pick. So serious is the league about tanking that the commissioner is bringing up the idea of relegation and then immediately admitting that it makes no sense. Listen, change the system or stop complaining about it. We all know you're not going to do anything about it. You've been going on about how serious you are about tanking. Your first tangible ideas that you bring to the public are relegation and then to make a deal and stream all of Victor Wembanyama's games. <laughs> you don't care. Stop talking about it. What a week it was. Oh, it was a great week. It's been it's been a really interesting start because there's just been so many things about this season that have been unpredictable. Which is that's that's what's great about it is just the unpredictability, and something that was a little unpredictable was the Washington Wizards actually showing up for this season. Oh, I'm getting flashbacks. They were a team that I don't think anybody even thought of when thinking about this NBA season. I heard I, I listened to a lot of podcasts. How many times I've heard anybody talk about the Wizards? I think we did once. I think we did one time, and. They are three and one. They are tied for second in the East. It's very early. They've only played Indy, Chicago, Cleveland, and Detroit. So it's not like they've played great teams. But I just wonder can this continue? They've got some good players on their team. And the thing that's different about this season is Bradley Beal is actually playing defense. So last season, they finished 25th in defense. And there was a point 
through about almost half the season last year that we thought the Wizards were a, a good team, and then they fell off a cliff. They were ranked 14th in defense through January of last year. They are currently 5th in the league in defense. And here are some quotes that came from the Wizards before the season started. This is from Kyle Kuzma when asked about them playing defense. That's the million-dollar question right there. Obviously, we can all score, duh, but it's about how important is defense to us? Because if it's important to us three, then everybody on the team is going to be dialed into that, right? That's usually how it works. So he's talking about Beal, Kuzma, and Porzingis, if they're dialed in on defense. Um, another quote. We almost, have, we almost have a saying, and this is Beal talking about himself. If Brad can do it, everybody can do it. <laughs> This oh, great is, thing. This is their saying. So if I can get down in a stance and get after it, everybody can. It's something that we hold each other accountable to, starting with me. It's funny just because it's it's like, if this guy who's been horrible on defense forever <laughs> right. can actually play defense, then everybody <laughs> can play defense. And I just think it's very interesting. Josh Robbins actually wrote a piece about this on The Athletic, which you should go check out. Uh, it, it highlights a charge that Bradley Beal took, which did feel out of character. Sadiq Bey is driving in from the corner, and Beal's there at the rim, and you kind of expect him to either like try to contest it or even like move out of the way. It's kind of right. what felt like past Bradley Beal would do. But he took a charge, and it's, it's at least early on in the season starting to shape the way that the Wizards at least think about themselves. And I just wonder if that can continue. Now, they're not going to be a top... I don't know that they're going to be a top 10 defense. But in order for them to be a team that's even in the play-in or like maybe even competing for the sixth seed, like they're going to have to be a top half of the league defense. And they have it in them. They've shown, they showed it through January of last year. And now the question is, one, can Beal stay healthy? And then two, can Bradley Beal actually stay committed? to the defensive end for an entire season. I'm intrigued to see it. Um, I don't what are you, what are your thoughts on the Wiz defense so far this season? Well the thing I'm actually worried about they hadn't brought up yet is Delon Wright is now out six to eight weeks. Yeah. And he was one of the guys they had brought in to kind of reinforce their backcourt that had been kind of weak. No question. These past couple of years. And so I wonder where they go next because that was kind of what happened last year like obviously the big thing last year was Bradley Beal getting hurt yeah but they just started getting all these random injuries mm -hmm. they had the team-wide COVID thing that prevented them from from uh working out mm -hmm. and so like are, are they going to give Johnny Davis a chance right now who who you know obviously didn't look great it's in preseason bad. yeah um so I'm, I'm hopeful that this actually is something real and that this isn't all going to about to fall apart because yeah. Porzingis has been playing really well mm-hmm um, Bradley Beal, who remember last year, even when he was healthy, he was having like one of the worst. And to be fair, he's shooting twenty nine percent from three this yeah. year, but yeah. he is playing better overall than he was playing last year. So yeah, I mean, remember like w when I did my surprise team thing, like I seriously thought about the Wizards, yeah, because I did feel like the reinforcements they brought in made a lot of sense, and that their mm -hmm. overall roster depth looks so much more improved compared to last year. Mm -hmm. um, but it is still a thing where, like, they have to prove it to me. I am not falling for the Wizards five <laughs> games into the season. You sh you should not, mostly because of their opponents. Right. 
they they really haven't played anybody yet. Um, another thing that has propelled them is just some hot shooting that they've gotten from guys. Uh, they're so they are shooting forty nine percent from the field through these first few games, which seems high for them. Last season they shot forty seven percent from the field, so it's not like a crazy aberration. And then from three, last season they shot thirty four percent from three. That's twenty six percent. This year they're thirty six percent, which is really kind of the middle of the road, which doesn't seem like crazy to me. They're only the 22nd ranked offense, so they're really winning games on defense. They have a positive net rating at 4.7. And again, that's largely because they played teams like Detroit. But they've got Monty Morris shooting 40, 54% from three. Will Barton, 53%. Rui Hachimura shooting 42%. Like That to me is like, that's too hot. Like that, Those things cannot continue. Then you go to Chris Porzingis, 40% from three. And then Denny Avdia, 37% from three. Like, those aren't insane, but it still feels like an aberration. And then there's like the hope of how their three-point shooting can continue to be at least like above league average is that Kyle Kuzma and Bradley Beal are not shooting well from yeah. three. Beal is only at 28%, and Kuzma is only shooting 32% from three. So those are going to get better. Those numbers will be better as the season goes on. So you just wonder if maybe some of this could be real. Now, I'm not predicting the Wizards are going to be a great team, but even talking about the play-in, I think people didn't really consider the Wizards all that much when factoring in the season in the East. And so I just wonder if this can continue, and I think we'll find out. In a week's time, they play Indiana, Boston, Philly, Philly, Brooklyn. And I think really after that stretch – we're going to know a whole lot more about the Wizards and what they can be. And, and it does feel like a door has kind of been opened for them with the starts of Orlando and Detroit. Without a doubt. Like, because those teams have played so poorly, and, you know, we were really interested in Orlando going into the season. Yep. Uh, a lot of people were interested in Detroit, you know, mm-hmm. most bet over. If those teams are going to be kind of what they were these last couple of years, well, yeah, that opens the door for a team like um, Washington or maybe Charlotte to kind of get back into the play. Charlotte's played well, too. Char- <laughs> I know. Charlotte's shooting the ball just insanely right now. I think that that's clear to me that it's just they're going to crash at some point. Yeah. But the Wizards aren't shooting an unsustainable percentage. It will go down some. But I just wonder if they can con- – and it's all about defense. It's all about if Brad can do it, we can do it. Like That's what it's all about. And I question whether Brad can do it. I need to see this for 20 games and not four games. But if they if he can compete through 20 games and like Beal's very committed to Washington and that's great and if he actually wants to win in Washington if if he doesn't want this to end in him eventually requesting a trade because he knows he can't win in Washington it's going to be on him. It's going to be on him to actually compete on the defensive end. And so I'm intrigued. Go check out Josh Robbins' piece at the Athletic about Bradley Beal's defense. And I'm intrigued to continue to watch and see what the Wizards can do because I think that I think they have the potential to surprise people. This has all just made me want to uh, get Josh Robbins back on the pod. I just miss him. We'll have to bring him back, yeah. especially for trivia. Especially for trivia. Um, okay, well, a similar idea to you in that, you know, we're five games in. Most teams have played five games. And I have like two brains going right now where on the one hand, I'm just excited for basketball. To be yeah. 
It's great. I'm so glad it's back. On the other hand, I'm really trying not to take too much away from the first five games of the season because it's such a small sample. But at the same time, you got to talk about it. You got to talk about something. It's hard not to. And so you're looking at these teams and you're trying to decide, oh, is this real? Is this not real? Does this even matter? You know, do the, do these five first five games even matter? I mean, teams are just like learning how to play together, yeah. just developing their chemistry. So I decided to do a, a little bit of a research project, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And and what kind of spurred this was looking at Philly and Brooklyn, two teams that were ranked pretty high in the preseason in terms of preseason championship odds. Yep. So Brooklyn had the fourth best odds, and Philly had the seventh best odds. Mm-hmm. They both have started out one and four. Yep. And if you feel like throwing the Lakers into that at 0-5, you can throw them in if, if you would like to. It's been ugly. Because they were 10th uh, in preseason championship odds. They were 10th. That is unbelievable. That feels unbelievable right now. And I just want to know, like, how how bad of a sign is this, really? Yeah. So I went on a basketball reference. Mm-hmm. Basketball-reference.com. <laughs> which we don't talk about it enough, Andrew. What a great site. We don't talk about it enough? You know, we, we mention it. We mention it, but we just don't talk about how amazing it is that we have a resource like Basketball Reference. It's wonderful. And, like, because now we've been using it for a year. I'm, like, yeah. I'm a pro at navigating. Yeah, it's... I wish it translated to any other aspect of my life how good I am at using basketball (laughs) reference. It does not, though. Okay, so I went back 53 years because that's as far back as it would let me go. Yeah. I was looking at... You you can go on basketball reference and look at what the NBA standings were on a specific date. Mm -hmm. Okay? So I went back 53 years, which is as far as I could do that, and I was looking at how many wins did the eventual champion have after five games Hmm. was there any pat like do these games matter at all yeah i went back five or i went back 53 years the average number of games that they won in their first five games was 3.8 okay the point being that like most of the most of the eventual champions were good right out of the gate yeah they were right around four and one Mm -hmm. in their first five games you got to be good to win the title you have to be good which is it's intuitive it makes sense and yet at the same time it's early in the season and we're t- talking ourselves off the ledge with, you know, a team like Philly, like, oh, it's, you know, it's early. They need time to gel. They got to figure some stuff out. Well, the story that everybody uses is Boston from last year. If, you're, if your team isn't playing well today, right, you can all you do Boston. is point to Boston last year and say, you know, we can do Boston last year. They were the turnaround team of the year. It was really great. But here's the deal. They didn't win the championship, Andrew. They didn't win it. Okay. It's true. What I found was that in the last 53 years of basketball, no NBA champion has ever started out with fewer than two wins. Interesting. They've been at least two and three. No one has ever started out one and four or 0 and five. So what I'm thinking about doing, Andrew, Mm. is making this kind of a recurring segment where Mm -hmm. maybe three times during the year, I'll bring it up, looking at historical trends for the eventual NBA champions and... Based on those trends, I will begin cutting a few teams. Okay. Saying they're done. Andrew, based on based on the history of the league. Yeah. Going back 53 years, they are done. Now, obviously, we've seen crazy stuff happen in the league. It's yeah. still possible that Philly sure. could turn it around. I'm just saying that they would have to buck some historical trends. So to are do we, so. are we cutting them out of the con- of the contenders list? Yes, and I want to preface this by saying that this segment is going to make not just Philly fans mad, it's going to make a couple teams mad. Yeah. So I'm just letting you know up front, I'm not trying to make you angry. 
I'm just having a little fun. <laughs> but here's my goal. I want to make it so that when the time I get to the end of the season, mm-hmm. I have narrowed it down to like one or two teams and that they are my pick. Because what can happen is you get to the end of the season and, yeah. ooh, a team played really well in the second half and, you, yeah. and you're kind of like drunk on that team. Yeah. You're like, ooh, I really like how they're playing right now. I'm trying to do this to kind of weed all that out so I get to the end of the season. So I also looked up what eventual champions did after 10 games yeah. to kind of look forward for this next week. Yeah, They won an average of seven and a half games. All of them were at least 500, yeah. except for one team. And yeah. this team is very interesting because it was the 1978 Washington Bullets. Yeah, Which, remember last week we were talking with Mike Prada about the finals that kind of uh, made them at the three-point line. Mm-hmm. It was these series against the Bullets and the Sonics because they were so bad. That year, so they beat Seattle in seven games. It's the only NBA Finals to ever feature two teams with under 50 wins in an 82-game season. <laughs> and to this day, it was the longest playoff series in terms of total number of days ever played in any sport and from oh Wikipedia, they said even the 1989 World Series, which was interrupted 10 days by an earthquake, only lasted 15 <laughs> days. The point being that, like, yes, they were four and six in their first 10 games. That was a weird team. Yeah. And a weird season. Everyone else was at least 500. So something, you know, if you're thinking about your team and their championship hopes, yeah. check back in after 10 games. Okay. So the preseason championship odds, I'm looking at, you know, the top 10 teams yeah. that they have there. Andrew, I'm crossing off Brooklyn and Philly this week. Yeah. But I'm not stopping there. Okay. I'm not stopping there because, as I mentioned at the, at the top, I was, I was interested in these teams because their preseason championship odds were so good. Yeah. You know, Brooklyn was fourth mm-hmm. and Philly was seventh. Yeah. So then I started to think, huh, I wonder if preseason championship odds have any relationship to who eventually wins the championship. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew, I went to basketball-reference.com. <laughs> now, this I couldn't go back 53 years because I actually only have odds going back 38 years. But yeah. I went back 38 years. What would you guess were the worst odds for an eventual NBA champion? You know, like their ranking going yeah. into preseason. Ninth. It was eighth. Oh. And do you know, you might be able to guess who the team was who had the eighth best championship odds in the preseason and then eventually won. Oh, gosh. I don't The it's Mavericks? A, uh, so the Mavericks 2011 Mavs? were seventh okay. that year. It was the first year of the Steph Curry Warriors. Warriors, okay. Yeah, yeah they were sense. they were eighth that year. Yeah. That's kind of interesting, right? Like the yeah. eighth best odds, no one beyond that has ever won an NBA championship. <laughs> it speaks to the lack of parity that it truly does. exists. But yeah. you start looking at the teams who are beyond the eighth yeah. best odds this year. That's teams like Denver. Yeah. Teams like Dallas. Yeah. Team like Memphis. Mm-hmm. So guess what, Andrew? I'm crossing them off. <gasps> crossing them off. You're it, crossing off. I, okay. No, I, no, listen. I'm yeah. not saying that this is a foolproof plan to get to yeah. the end of the season and know who's going to win the yeah. championship. I'm just going to try to use historical data to slowly weed out teams. Yeah. Because basically, like, if, if a team like Denver or if a team like Memphis <clears throat> went on to win the championship, by the way, they could still make the finals. Have an and amazing it, and season. And not be, yeah, they could be the the Celtics of last year. Yes, and it's amazing still, season. You and feel it's still not count. But yeah. if they actually won the championship, it yeah. would represent a significant deviation from NBA history. What is Denver's odds this year? So they really got screwed in this deal because uh, they are ninth. Okay. 
So they're like right there. And I double checked to make sure that the odds were different. And yeah. I and I was using the basketball reference odds that, you know, they they posted. That's there. the only team out of those three that I would actually question whether to put them as a contender still. Just because they're they're finally reaching the ages where they have overlapping primes. Oh, and to be clear, like they're absolutely a contender in the, tra- the yeah, traditional I mean, way to think about these teams. Like Murray's twenty five and he's back. He hadn't played well so far. So like, but that's still it's one where I give him time. Porter's twenty four. Jokic is twenty seven. This, this is about the year if you were going to be an all timer. If Jokic is good, and I think Jokic is an all timer, obviously. But if you're going to be an all timer that wins titles, this is about the age where it starts happening. Absolutely. And so that's that would be the only one that I would quibble with. And to, and Memphis, I don't think they're ready yet. Dallas, I don't think they have enough pieces. But Denver, I'm like. Eh. And to be clear, we're this is uh, you know I'm trying to remove emotion from this. This is data driven only. This is data driven from basketball reference.com Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, if you asked me like right now who I would consider contenders, I would yeah. absolutely include Denver in that. Yeah. Um, but so that leaves us. Already, after five games, Andrew, with six teams. <laughs> you're, you're whittling. You're a whittler. I'm, I'm whittling fast. Boston, Golden State, Milwaukee, Phoenix, the Clippers, and Miami. Now, the Clippers, I've got my eye on, Andrew, <laughs> because I mentioned that after 10 games, you have to be at least 500. Yeah. The Clippers just lost two games in a row to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I was there. I watched it happen in person. They did not look good. They did not look they good. Looked they looked old. Old. Yeah. And Kawhi has played two games so far this season, and then his knee started hurting again. He's got knee stiffness. Knee stiffness. They're holding him out. Uh, Paul George, his doesn't seem as serious, but he, he had an illness. He had, and he's he's like, he got, I don't know if he's got like strep throat or something, but... It, he, it doesn't seem physical, though. He seems like he'll, he should be fine. Yeah, he just seems uh, either sick or apathetic last night. I don't know which. But I'm, I'm just very interested in that team, because... I understood why people were so hyped going the season. Like the whole idea of like, wow, this is the deepest roster in the league. You're yeah. finally getting PG and Kawhi back healthy. And already within a week, I'm watching that team and it is not matching up because it's the it's the same, it's basically the same team we saw last year overachieve yeah. and be the, be this um, um, you know, kind of amazing story. It was. Considering how many injuries they were dealing with. Yeah. And it's a lot of those same guys and it just hasn't looked right yet. Yeah. And their schedule so far, they've won two games. The combined records of the teams they've beaten is 0 and 8. So they, yeah. they've not beaten, they've not done anything. Yeah. No. They have not done anything. And, and the Kawhi stuff is just, it's curious to me because, especially the way that it's covered, people just like trusted that Kawhi was going to be back and everything was going to be great. He's only played 109 games in the last three seasons. You Dude, know, like, I, I bought into like, I was thinking about fancy basketball. Yeah. Like, people were talking about him like, yeah, I guess you still take him in the first round because if he's back and yeah. he hasn't played in so long, like, obviously he should be ready to play now. Like, that yeah. was the thinking in mm-hmm. the preseason, and already that has evaporated. <laughs> and so now I don't know what to think. I know. I think Kawhi is really lucky that the Brooklyn Nets exist because... To keep the focus off. Just to... Of the guys that aren't playing, right? like, it's all about Ben Simmons and Kyrie. Yeah. You know, it was never really about Kawhi. Oh, like Kawhi. Like, he's just kind of off in his own land over there. And to be fair to him, like, it's because he has the cachet of winning multiple titles as the best guy on the team. He has. Yeah, he's he's done that. And and if Kyrie wasn't so outspoken about everything, 
we could probably he could probably still have that cachet, but he has somehow like worn down that cachet to nothing. Yeah. Um, where Kawhi with with what he did with the Raptors, it just I think it shaped everybody's view of him forever, and it should have. Like doing something like that is really really impressive, but still his time with the Clippers in three seasons, 109 games. It's just it's it's just not enough and and that's well known but i just i just wonder why it was not really in question before the season started so i'm going to revisit this maybe two or three times during the season the goal being that by the time we get to the playoffs we will have whittled it down to i would love if it really ended up working out whereas one team, one team. Left. <laughs> and then i would just have I would just be able to choose that team without even thinking because they fit the exact profile of every NBA yeah. champion that has come before them. Yeah. That would be very nice. That'd be great if one team meets the statistical criteria to be the champions. Yeah. They thread the needle. Everything looks perfect. I can just sit back and relax and, and feel like I'm the smartest guy in the world. You could get it. You could get the banner tattoo of the, oh, of the yeah. team, yes. of whoever it is, before the playoffs start. You could do it. That would be... So, such a weird thing to do to get another team, a team that I'm not even a fan of. Imagine having to explain that to someone. Oh, so you must. Oh, so you're a big like Warriors fan or whatever. You're like, no, it's actually one segment on a podcast I do. In fact, it's to do with the statistical matter. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I I would encourage you to do it. You could even get a little tiny one. You know, if you, did, if you didn't want a big one, you could just get a tiny one just to prove it. I could do people. a butt banner. Could the put the put, put the banner on <laughs> no, my butt? You could. You could. Okay, Fred. <laughs> I don't have a transition for butt banner. <laughs> we're gonna move on to our next segment. Uh, we're gonna talk to Sean Hyken about the Portland Trailblazers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom. In the first week of this season's Wheel of Fandom, the wheel landed on the Portland Trail Blazers. And Andrew, what a week we got. We got, now the Blazers, they, they went 3-1 during the stretch. We got two 40-point games from Dame. We got a game winner from Anthony Simons that was a hook shot over Mikel Bridges in the lane. We also got a 22-point quarter from Anthony Simons. They got wins over the Suns, Lakers, and Nuggets. Uh, we were recording on Thursday morning. Last night on Wednesday, they did lose to the Miami Heat, and Dame did get hurt, so it was kind of a downer end to what was otherwise a magical first week on the Wheel of Phantom. So, Andrew, if the Trailblazers are our favorite team this week, who is our guest? We've got Sean Hyken, a writer who's been covering the Blazers for years and recently started the Rose Garden Report, a Blazers newsletter and podcast. Sean, what's up, man? 
How you guys doing? It's good to be back with you guys. It was a great first week. We're glad that you're back, man. It was. I felt so good. I felt like the wheel uh, bestowed some some grace upon the uh, the Blazers this week, except for last night. But there's there's also some silver linings. So let me ask you this: Did you guys do the wheel of fandom and decide to do a Blazers uh, episode before they started the season at four and zero with with you know Dame having two forty point games, or was this? Because you know they're they're kind of the it team this week oh, on all no, the no, national no. podcasts. Oh, 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 Sean, that is not how we work over here. It is completely random. We spin a wheel at the end. We're going to spin a wheel right after we talk to you, and it'll land yep. on a, land on another random team. And it just happened to gift us the Blazers. So okay, so we're, we're, we're <laughs> feeling great what, about it. This is this is what the wheel does. the uh, The Blazers went four and one. They sit atop of the Western Conference right now, uh, leaving aside the record. What have been some of the surprises early on in this season compared to like preseason expectations? Well, you want to talk about being surprised compared to the preseason. The Blazers really couldn't have had a worse preseason than they did. Their one win out of the five games that they played came against uh, this Israeli team that was like playing exhibition games. And from my understanding, it was not, it wasn't even like Maccabi Haifa. It wasn't even like one of the good Israeli teams. It was like a second division Israeli team like in the second division of that league. So that was the only game that they won in their preseason and all their games against actual NBA teams. They did not look good to the point where people in the organization were actually kind of looking at it and like kind of concerned, like, is this really not that good? But then I guess a switch flipped once they got to the regular season and the games actually counted because we're kind of seeing Kind of proof, I guess the way they put it is it's kind of proof of concept yeah. of what Joe Cronin, who had took over as interim general manager last December, was promoted to the job permanently in May, uh, has been talking about wanting to do around Dane, which is to surround him with versatile athletic wings who can defend. And you look at the players beside outside of Anthony Simons, his, you know, kind of also undersized backcourt mate, and then Yusuf Nurkic, who's been their starting center for a long time. The other guys that they've brought in that they're putting around him, it's all guys like Josh Hart, Justice Winslow, Jeremy Grant, Nasir Little, who's been here for a few years, Gary Payton the second, who hasn't played yet because he's been dealing with a core muscle injury, but he's expected to be back at some point soon. So it's all just like guys who can defend multiple positions and also are not like they've had wing defenders like that before, whether you look at like an Alfaru Aminu or a Mo Harkless, mm -hmm. but the guys they have now, like a Josh Hart or a Jeremy Grant who are in those roles are not offensive liabilities and are guys that can go get you a bucket as well as defend. So you can kind of now see what they were trying to do in building around Dame. And then the other surprise, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this in more depth would be that from day one, Shaden Sharp is legitimately a part of the rotation. That was something mm -hmm. where I thought that he was going to, because he was so raw and he had not played at Kentucky for a whole year and nobody really knew what he was. And he hadn't really played against high level competition since high school. And they just drafted him because he had a lot of upside. That was a situation where I thought it might take like half the season for him to actually get in the rotation, but he's, he's the second justice Winslow is the first guy off the bench, but he's the second guy off the bench most nights. And so I would say those are the two big surprises. A, how well the defense has kind of come together this early, and B, Shaden Sharp is actually playing right away. Yeah, and not just playing, but a bit, he's been really impressive in these minutes. He looks good. He looks mm -hmm. good. And 
that was the thing that I heard about him from training camp. And, 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 you know, he's so, he's so behind the curve with his development. Cause like I said earlier, he didn't play at Kentucky. And then everybody was really looking forward to seeing what he would do at summer league. He gets hurt five minutes <laughs> right. into their he first summer play. league game. He, yeah. he has the shoulder injury and he basically mm-hmm. doesn't play. And not only does he not play, but he's recovering from that shoulder injury all throughout the summer. So guys were at the facility all summer playing pickup. He couldn't even really do that. And so you think he kind of is is starting out behind the curve and isn't really going to be able to, you know, contribute right away. But everything that I heard about him, whether it be from training camp down in Santa Barbara or at some of these practices or after some of these preseason games, he's apparently one of the fastest learners that any of these guys have ever been around. You know, he comes into a practice. He doesn't know the set. You explain something to him once or twice and then just hmm. got it. And I thought in the preseason, the two games that he played against not real competition, so like the Maccabi Rana game and the game that he played against the Warriors uh, G-Leaguers when they weren't playing all their main guys, mm-hmm. he looked great in those games. And then the games against actual NBA players, he looked a lot more lost and he looked a lot more like a 19-year-old kid who's never played against high-level competition before. But in his debut against Sacramento, he just looked like he knew where to be on the court. He didn't get lost defensively. He had a couple of incredible highlights. And then it's been a little bit more up and down since then, but it has never looked like, you know, like there have been there have been times where like you throw him out there, he doesn't score much and he just picks up some fouls. Mm-hmm. But there have never been times with him out there where you're just like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. This guy has no idea how to play. He doesn't know where to be there. There really hasn't been any of that. And one thing about Chauncey Billups is now that they're actually trying to win this year, which they were not for most of last year, once they shut Dame down and traded everyone at the deadline, He's not going to put someone out there who has no experience if he doesn't actually think that they can help him win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he's actually giving Shade and Sharp real minutes, and honestly, this the, this game probably will have been played by the time this episode comes out, but as we're recording this, their next game tomorrow is against Houston, mm-hmm. and it's pretty likely that Dame is going to miss that game. I would not be surprised. I don't know what, he, what Chauncey's going to do. I would not be stunned if he throws Shaden Sharp into the starting lineup just to keep his other rotations just kind of the same. Yeah. Wow. It, it is so, – yeah. I mean, you, you described it perfect because, like, the the path we went from how people were talking about him around the draft to now him potentially starting in, you know, his yeah. sixth NBA game or whatever is right. truly incredible. Um, so I wanted to ask you about their defense because right now their defense sits at 15th overall. Last year in the preseason – Chauncey Billups talked about wanting to play a more switching style. It never really came to fruition. They seem to be more able to play that way this year, but there were still those questions in the preseason because the backcourt is so small with Damon Ant. You know, how, how is the defense really going to work? What have been your early impressions of the defense? Do you think they can maintain a top-half defense in the league? Well, they have the personnel now. That's the big difference between this year and last year. Like I was saying kind of at the top, they didn't have Jeremy Grant last year. They didn't have Justice Winslow at the beginning of last year. They didn't have Josh Hart at the beginning of last year. Like Chauncey was being brought in to implement this new defense, and the roster that he had was still the exact same roster that had basically been playing for Terry Stotts, who's like a complete opposite kind of coach for a number of years before that. So the personnel, I think, is a big thing. So the two things that I think they've been very happy with so far defensively 
And Chauncey actually talked about both of these things last night. One is the zone, which they've been going to a lot more this year. What he actually said was that that was something that at the back half of last year, when they were playing all these young guys who didn't really have any idea what they're doing, he played a bunch of zone with them just to simplify things. And it actually kind of worked. So he started implementing it this year. And then the other thing, and this is something obviously last night, they, you know, they were kind of thrown off of this a little bit because Miami is just really good at mucking things up, but they've been really good at not fouling. They've won the foul bat outside of last night against Miami. They have won the free throw line battle as far as getting to the line and not letting the opponent get to the line in every game. And Chauncey is always talking about how that's all just about discipline and that's about communication. And that's all stuff that they've been working on throughout camp. As far as whether any of this is sustainable, from what I've heard, they think it's sustainable. I don't think they, and this is this version of the organization is, I think, pretty self-aware and pretty honest about what they do and don't expect of themselves. So they think that this is all pretty sustainable. I just given some of the personnel, even, you know, even with some of the new guys they brought in, as you said, they still have, you know, Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons as two of their starters who have never been great defenders in their careers. So I, I am interested to see if it's sustainable, but they feel like it is. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And they still so, have GP2 coming back at some point. That's the other thing. I don't, uh-huh. yeah, I don't, we, we should get an update on him soon because he had the core muscle surgery, which, by the way, is the same surgery that Dame had yeah. last mm-hmm. January. That it's really, it's kind of funny, actually, that three guys on the team have had that in the last year because Dame had it. Nasir Little had it over the summer. Oh, weird. And then, and then Gary Payton also had it, but he had it in July. Originally, when they announced that he had the surgery, which, by the way, they didn't announce until like a week before camp, even though he had the surgery in July. But they said initially that he would miss camp and miss the preseason, and then he'd be good to go for the start of the season. And then during training camp, they said, actually, he's going to miss at least the first week of the season. So we should get some kind of an update on him soon. I think they might be more willing to take it slow and be cautious with him because they got off to the start that they got off to. So they don't mm-hmm. really feel like they need to bring him back, but you would think he'd certainly help defensively even, even yeah. more so than what they've been able to do already. Having somebody like that, when you look at what he was able to do with golden state last year during the playoffs and in the finals, when, uh, you know, he was just com- completely disrupting, you know, on the perimeter on that end that you would think that would be somebody that would help even more. So Wednesday night, Lillard was injured against the Miami Heat. Uh The right calf injury doesn't appear to be very serious, but I thought there were some interesting takeaways from it, just in the way that Dame responded. Here's a couple quotes. He said, My perspective has changed. I want to be in it for the duration, the long haul of the season, and it's early. We've gotten off to a good start. Things feel good. I haven't felt Uh this good since my second or third year. Everything I did in the summer is just adding up. Uh... I feel fast, I feel strong, I don't get tired, and I don't want to lose that. So I've got to be patient and not get ahead of myself. And then the second one is, uh, we'll be okay. It's one of the things where if we can't be okay in these moments, then who are we for real? It's unfortunate, but it happens. We won't be the first or the last team to have something like this happen. So I thought that was very interesting in the way that he responded. Uh, and the, for those who haven't followed Dame closely, is this a, a change or a departure from maybe how Dame would have responded in the past? 
I would say it's definitely a departure because Dame has, in the course of his career, been a guy who just plays through anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's from, by the way, the other quote that I, you know, that I think is, you know, the important one to take away from when he talked to us last night after the injury was he said that if this was a playoff game, he would have stayed in last night. Sure. And yep. that even last night, he, when he went back to get looked at by the medical staff, he was like, you guys can just retape my leg and then like, send me back out there. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're not going to risk it. I think this is just like, he did not seem worried about this at all. Like to the point, someone asked him if he was, if he had even gotten an MRI and he just kind of like laughed at the idea that this was even a serious enough injury that he would need, you know, to even get that exam or get that scan or any of that stuff. So they're really not worried about it long-term. I would imagine they haven't officially announced this yet. They probably will have by the time this goes out, but he basically said last night that he's not playing tomorrow against Houston, which Mm -hmm. The timing of this injury was actually pretty perfect as far as these things go for Portland because their next game is against the Rockets, which is a game you would think they should be able to win even without him. And then I, I, I barely, rarely ever see this in the schedule, at least especially this early in the regular season. But after the game tomorrow against the Rockets, they have four days off at home before their next game. Their next game isn't until Wednesday against Memphis after the game on Friday. So hmm. basically Dame will have a full week to recover and, you know, get treatment and only have to miss one game. That's against a team they should probably beat anyway. So as far as I know, the hope is that he's going to be able to play against Memphis on Wednesday. And then they have a six game road trip that they start after that. So and and that's going to be a pretty tough road trip because they've got Phoenix and Miami and New Orleans and some teams that, you know, are actually going to be tough. So the hope is that he's back by then, but he didn't seem too worried about it. So we've seen some flashes of some very intriguing small ball lineups, most notably against the Kings in the first game of the season. So with GP2 eventually coming back, do you anticipate small ball becoming a more integral part of their attack? Or am I just getting excited about something they probably won't use that much. Well, it's going to be something that they have to do because they just don't really have the depth up front outside of Yusuf Nurkic. Like their backup centers at this point are, you know, at least on paper are Drew Eubanks, who, you know, he he's 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 a fine backup, but he just kind of is what he is. He's like a 15 minute a game guy. He's not he's not a guy that you're going to be able to throw out there for extended minutes. And then the other guy is Trendon Watford, who hasn't played at all this season because mm-hmm. he uh, is dealing with a hip thing right now. I don't think that's that serious either from what I've heard. But that's somebody that they that they think is is going to be their primary backup center once he's healthy. So that just kind of tells you what their depth is behind Nurk, who, by the way, on the subject of Nurk, like just given his history, you can probably pencil him in to miss at least 15 to 20 games a year. So I would think that this small ball stuff with Justice Winslow which was very successful against Sacramento in the season opener and that they've used at at times, you know, in some of these other games is something that they're going to have to use more just out of necessity until they can make some sort of move to balance the roster and, you know, bring in some more front court depth, which I think is coming at some point, but until then that's probably just out of necessity. That's just what they're going to have to do. Mm, okay. So from the outside, Yusuf Nurkic seems to be the most polarizing player among the fan base. Um, there were questions. I would say about- that's correct. <laughs> okay, 
So there was questions about his stamina in the preseason. He seems to go back and forth between having a good game and having a disappointing game. Uh, can you explain Nurkic to us? Like, what's going on here? This is just what he is. I mean, he's a starting center in the NBA, certainly. He's not a, I don't think he's a top 10 starting center in the league. Like, this is just kind of what he is. Like, he'll, he'll have some nights where he's very effective. I thought he was pretty good against Phoenix. I thought he was pretty good against Denver. You know, most of the time he's able to kind of, you know, hold his own out there defensively. The Sacramento game, he was not good. And that's why they kind of benched him down the stretch and brought went into this small ball lineup with Justice Winslow instead. And that basically won them the game, the decision to do that. I think the thing that frustrates people the most about Nurkic, and I have no idea why he insists on doing this, but he'll get the ball in the post. He'll go to work, usually on a smaller defender. He has a size advantage. He has a mismatch. And then he just kind of throws up a little floater or a little layup. He doesn't ever, and this has been going on for years. This is not a new thing this year. But he, for some reason, just doesn't realize that you're bigger than this guy. You can just mm-hmm. go up and dunk on him. Like you would probably, he'd probably score 25 points a game if he just would realize that he could just go and dunk over most guys that are defending him. Like there's, there's no reason he can't do that. So I, and, and like I said, this is, you know, he's been in the league, however long he's been in the league, like almost 10 years at this point. I think, I think this is his eighth or ninth year in the league. Uh, uh, and, and this has kind of been the thing the whole time. <laughs> I do think that if there is a spot in the rotation or in the lineup that I would think that they would look to upgrade at the deadline or before the deadline or with some other kind of move before the end of the season, I do think that the starting center spot is probably it because I think Mm. that Nurkic, you know, as, as good as he is for what he is, like I said, this is kind of the player that he is, and you kind of have a ceiling when that's your guy. Right. And I think for them to get to the level that they want to get to with this kind of, and I don't know who that might be. Like, I would assume that, like, the Miles Turners or the Jakob Pertles of the league, like the types of, like, you know, right. starting centers on bad teams that are probably going to be available at the deadline. Those are the types of guys I would think they'd probably look at. So I don't know who exactly it's going to be, but. I think that that is probably the spot that they would look to upgrade more so than any. But for right now, so far, he's been he's been he he hangs in there. He he does his job most nights. There are things that I think a lot of fans find frustrating about him, and I can understand why. And then uh, the health history is always still a concern. But you know, he's I don't think he's as bad as people who are just out on him think he is he hangs in there but you know i i do think he gives you a ceiling if that's your if that's your starting center so our last question it was revealed this week during an in-game video that in all his time living in portland damian lillard has never been to the oregon coast as you noted on twitter it was the first time dame has been booed in portland sean if dame came to you and asked you where he should go for his first trip on the oregon coast what would you recommend an oregon coast recommendation well, my family, when we were growing up, we always used to go to this beach called Arch Cape, which is pretty uh, close to Cannon Beach, but not quite at Cannon Beach. You know, we used to one of my dad's colleagues had a uh, happy has a house out there that they would let us use for a week every summer. So I would, 
you know, we would, we would go out there. So that's probably where I've spent the most time, but yeah, I mean, Dame, come on, man, you got, you got to do it. It's so wild. I mean, for people who don't know, the Oregon coast is 90 minutes from Portland. Yeah. If that, if that, and it is a straight shot and, and the straight shot is to Cannon beach, which is, you know, the most popular place, big uh-huh. rock formation. That's cool to look at. I just couldn't believe when I said that. <laughs> it was shocking. Yeah. It was shocking. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, Okay, Sean, thank you so much for answering our questions. It is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, Blazers edition, where Andrew goes head-to-head with a beat writer for an NBA team. This week, of course, it's Sean Hyken of Rose Garden Report, newsletter and podcast. Now, Sean, how this works, I've come up with eight questions about the Blazers. Uh, Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will get a chance to steal for one. So to start us off, I just need a number between one and eight. Six. Question number six. According to Cleaning the Glass, which blazer currently has the best on-off number at plus 9.5? And this isn't some, like, small sample, like a guy who's only played 15 minutes. I'm going to guess Josh Hart. That is incorrect. Andrew, best Mm. on-off number, plus 9.5, according to Cleaning the Glass. Who is it? Anthony Simons. That is also incorrect. Would you believe that it's the guy we were just talking about? Oh, is it? Yusuf Nurkic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I know, very surprising. So Uh, there's a point in his favor. Okay, Andrew, the board is yours. Number one. Question number one. The Blazers started 4-0 and for the first time since the 99-2000 season. Who was the Blazers' leading scorer that season? Oh, my word. 99-2000. Yes, how's your Blazers' history, Andrew? Oh, boy. Is that Sheed? Sheed, Sheed Wallace? Andrew, that is absolutely correct for two yes. points. You're on the board. Okay, back to Sean. That was probably the easiest one, I will say. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I knew that one. Uh, yeah. Three would be, I'll, let's go three. Shaden Sharp has scored 42 points over his first five NBA games. Who was the last Blazers rookie to score at least 42 points over their first five games in the NBA? They haven't really had a lot of rookies that have been high scorers, so I'm going to actually go back to CJ. Is that is that it? That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one point. Hmm. 
a rookie that scored 40 points. Not in a single game, I was just g- over the first five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to think. I was. I thought maybe it was CJ as well. Um, this is a really hard question, Al. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't like this question. <laughs> Are you trying to think of Blazers rookies? <laughs> yes, that'd be a good start. So the, the thing, the thing that makes this question tough is that they just don't, haven't really had they a lot of rookies over the last yeah. eight. Yeah, under the previous GM, they would. A lot of times, they would. God, is it Pat Connaughton? Am I allowed another guess? Is that, is that who it was? <laughs> uh, Andrew, you're welcome to steal Sean's guess, but Sean does not get a second guess. Yeah. I, don't, I feel guesses? like... I feel like... Gosh. Is it Zach Collins? I have no idea. So the reason I love this question so much, you guys were on the right track because the point of the question was that the Blazers have not had a rookie in a really long time, all the way back to Damian Lillard. The last time that a Blazers rookie scored at least 42 points over his first five NBA games. Uh, I guess that makes sense because CJ actually didn't play that much in his rookie year because he had the broken foot. And then also Terry Stotts just like didn't really like playing rookies that much. So I I guess that makes sense. Because it's it's not like I mean, it's it's impressive that Shane Sharp has like come in and played. Yeah, it's it's cool, but it's not crazy. Yeah, it's like eight points a game. You know, it's not like wild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, Andrew, you have control of the board. Number two. Damian Lillard has two 40-point games this week. Who's the only other player to also have two 40-point games this season? Oh, my gosh. I feel like I should know this. Yeah, you should, Daily Ding guy. <laughs> That's only one night a week. Don't don't be too hard on me. That counts. It's a busy um, night. Yeah. Um, goodness. Who is it? Is it Giannis? Andrew, that is correct for two yeah. points. Okay. Because he did it last night. That's yeah. why, that's why yeah, it was yeah. a little tricky. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, Sean, back to you. Eight. Question number eight. Which current trailblazer is the only player on the roster to have been awarded the Boy Scouts' highest rank of Eagle Scout? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know this. Uh <laughs> This is awesome. Uh, Nasir Little. That is correct. Uh, Andrew. Uh, and also, by the oh, way, I found word. out not very many Eagle Scouts in professional basketball. It's, wow. Where did you get rare. this? Is there like a, was there like a feature story on this or something? Uh, or? It was actually in this player's Wikipedia. Oh, Because I was just okay. looking for like fun facts about random guys. Uh, Drew Eubanks? Drew Eubanks, the shack of Troutdale. That is incorrect. It was Josh <laughs> That's a good guess, Hart. Though. Josh Hart wasn't Josh Hart. That, that tracks. That tracks. Yeah. Eagle that. Scout. Wow. Yeah, I saw a stat that he was the first Eagle Scout to ever play in an NCAA championship game. Very, very cool <laughs> <Okay>. stat. <laughs> it's a good poll for the trivia question. <laughs> yeah. Okay, oh, Andrew, man. back to you. Uh, number four. Question number four. Anthony Simons had a 22-point quarter this week in a game against the Nuggets. I'm going to read you a list of four former Trailblazers. All of them scored at least 20 in a quarter during their time in Portland, except one. Tell me who the imposter is. So the names are Ben McLemore, Jake Lehman, Mario Hazonia, (laughs) and Rodney Hood. 
Three of those oh four gosh. guys <laughs> scored at least 20 in a quarter of NBA basketball. Oh, no. So oh. Once, once again, it's Ben McLemore, Jake Lehman, Mario Hazonia, Rodney Hood. Gosh, I, I honestly just don't know. But <laughs> Why I'll would guess. you? I don't know. Neil Olshay loved the second draft guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. It's hard for me to imagine Mario Hazonia doing it, so I'll say Mario Hazonia. Andrew, that is correct. That is correct for two points. All right. Uh, I just have a hard time imagining him scoring 20 points in a game, let alone. That's true. Yeah, I was surprised by Jake Lehman. Ben McElmore happened last year. Um, he did it. Yeah, yeah. He, was, oh, he was actually pretty good in Portland last year. He was, he yeah, was, he was. a big, like, once they shut down Dame and traded CJ and all of that, he, it was one of those, like, somebody has to score type of situations. Mm-hmm. So he, 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 he was able to put some numbers up. Is he on a team? Uh, I don't think he is. I don't know. I could. I like Ben. He's a good guy. Could Google it very quickly, but I, I will not. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> next uh, question, Sean, for you. Uh, seven. Question number seven. Damian Lillard's career high is 61 points, which unsurprisingly is the highest of any Blazer when it comes to their career high in points. Which Blazer has the second highest career high? On the team now, they didn't necessarily need to do it on the Blazers, but they could have on the current uh, on the cur- out of the players on the current team who yes, has the second highest yes, career yes, high on the current the roster. Yeah, mm. uh, Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant, a very good guess, but he had one point less than the guy who is second. Wow, Andrew, can you guess who it is? Actually, no, I know this. Ooh, Sean knows it, Andrew. I, I don't know this. Um, is it is it Josh Hart? It is. It's Josh Hart who had forty four yes. points in a game last year, which is the Barack Obama game. Yeah, do you remember this? Do you remember this? <laughs> Wait, well, Barack Obama was at the game? <laughs> no, he wasn't at the game. But it was so. It was the. It was like one of the first games after the trade deadline. They uh-huh. were playing the Wizards yeah. and. Yeah. Josh Hart went off for 44 and then afterwards like he was he was mad that he didn't get to 50 but then afterwards he's like no it's cool I got 44 I got the Barack Obama <laughs> and then uh and then my, my and then I, I tweeted out the quote and my buddy Sopan Deb who uh, I'm sure you guys know who works for the New York Times tweet mm-hmm. re- replied to me and said his career average is the John Tyler <laughs> that's amazing that was pretty is good. it <laughs> and by the and by the way that game that game that josh that barack obama game uh was the last game josh hart played for the blazers that season because it was like like they after that they were like okay we're trying to tank like let's make <laughs> we up gotta pull the plug to, on this yeah exactly <laughs> they, he's too, too good, good. <laughs> Dude, josh yeah. hart when he first came over was like legitimately incredible like some of the he stat was. lines he was putting up last year were absurd He's been really good this year too. Like he's not putting up numbers like that, but he's he's been like he he won the starting small forward job in training camp and yeah. The way that Dame and everybody's talking about him like like Chauncey Billups told us this story before a game the other day. I it was before the Denver game where the first day of training camp they were going to scrimmage and Josh Hart goes up to him and asks him, "Are these refs allowed to call techs?" And Chauncey's like, yeah, they can call text. And then Chauncey pulls all the refs aside and we're just like, and, and just said, hey, call a million texts on Josh Hart every time he does something just to <laughs> like, just to mess with him. So 
Josh Hart. Josh Hart is probably like the current front runner for like the Ed Davis Award for like everybody's favorite teammate in well, Portland. It was so interesting because yeah. that when that trade happened, like nationally, obviously all the focus was on the pick, and people were actually wondering like, was Josh Hart going to like still be on the team? And he has people been- are wondering that now. Really? Because if I mean, I think they would like to not trade him, but if they're going to trade him for like a major or to trade somebody for like a major upgrade, I think he probably just positionally and yeah. because he's on a good contract and is a guy that teams around the league. Like let like let's say that I don't think that's gonna happen now because they've looked pretty good this first week, but like let's say hypothetically that things were to really go south in Phoenix with DeAndre Ayton after all the weirdness right. that mm-hmm. happened in the spring, which is something I know the Blazers kicked the tires on when all of that happened in the spring. And Josh Hart would probably have to be a part of whatever that is. Like for something like that, I think there is a chance that hmm. he could be moved. But I think at this point sure. they're very happy with, I don't think it's impossible, but I, I think, I think at this point, everybody's very happy with what he's, what he's brought so far. And plus he's an Eagle scout. And you, you can't replace yeah. that. You literally yeah. can't replace it because there's no it, one else. It can't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Andrew, final question. According to RealGM.com, what is the average age of the Portland Trailblazers roster? Now, you get to pick who answers first. So you could mm-hmm. you could guess first. Then Sean could go higher or lower. Or you can make Sean guess first. And you can use decimal points if you would like. 26.2. 26.2. Sean... Is the average age of the Portland Trailblazers roster higher or lower than 26.2? I'm going to go 25.4. 25.4? The correct answer, Sean is closer, is 24.9. Whoa. Okay. This is the first time in Dame's career, by the way, that he's ever been the oldest guy on the team. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I forget, like, like, I forget about, like, Nasir Little's, like, what is he like? These guys are all like. It feels like Nasir has been in the league forever, but he's in his fourth yeah. year. Yeah, like Greg Brown's crazy young. Keon Johnson, I like Keon Johnson too. He's twenty. They like, like they like him. He he played yeah. a lot in the preseason, and he's played the you know in the last couple of games. They like him. That's yeah. a guy also that like if they were to trade for like a Miles Turner or somebody like that, that would be somebody mm-hmm. that, that as much as like, you know, they're happy, they think he has upside, that could be somebody that they just don't have a spot for in the rotation that they could throw in somewhere as like a trade sweetener of some sort. But that's a guy that unprompted on the first day of camp, Dame talked about how he had the best offseason of any player on the team. Mm-hmm. So they like yeah. Keon Johnson a lot, but he just hasn't gotten a lot of uh, time to play recently. Well, uh, Andrew won the week. Uh, congratulations to Andrew. Uh, Sean, before we leave, I wanted, uh, if, if you could tell us a little bit about your new project, because this is something, this is kind of your first full season with the Rose Garden Report. What are you doing over there, and how can people, Blazers fans, go get signed up? I'm just kind of covering the team day to day, just but doing it kind of my own, do, doing my own thing. Kind of, it's It's very similar to, for those of you who are listening to this, who are maybe fans of, other teams it's similar to like what Derek Bodner is doing in uh Philly or what Scott Agnes is doing in uh Indiana or James Ham in Sacramento or there, there are a couple of others that I'm forgetting but it's kind of that sort of deal so you can go to it, it's very simple you just go rosegardenreport.com you can sign up uh, there's some stuff that's free some stuff that's paywalled I think I keep the price pretty reasonable for the amount of content that you're getting so you can go sign up that way and then 
the podcast, which is also called Rose Garden Report, that's free. You can just get that on Apple or Spotify or wherever you normally would get podcasts. And I, I have been a loyal listener. I would highly recommend go, going to check out the podcast. And you can find Sean online on Twitter, at Hiken. I was actually just noticing uh, uh, Casey Holdall, you know, the, the other beat reporter. That's my guy. He, his Twitter handle is C-Hold, which you rarely see the five, like, the five-letter Twitter handle. He must have been on at the yeah. very beginning to get such a, a short He got it before Shamik Holdsclaw did, because I think hers is like oh, C-Hold, yeah. then the number after it. So that's, <laughs> that's big time. He must have been an early adopter. And you must have been, too, because you, you got your last name. No, no, no. So I actually had to fight for that. Oh, really? Back when I was back when there was some person who had that. It was not even their name, but for some reason, it was one of the, it was one of those accounts that like had zero followers and is following zero people oh, and made the account losers. in 2009. And yeah. so when I was at and so when I was at USA Today, this is like probably 10 years ago at this point when I was at USA Today, I actually had their social media director who I guess has contact at Twitter. I was like, hey. I want my name as my handle. The account is inactive. Can you just get it for me? And they did. And that was so. So I actually had to fight for that. Wow. Well, it's, it was worth it. I would say I would love to have my own name. It makes it easy to tell people to follow me. I can tell you that. It does. Mm-hmm. Well, go go follow him. And uh, thanks so much for joining us on the Saturday Slam and Jam. And uh, we'll we'll see if the Wheel of Fandom has a, a similar effect on the next team because it certainly helped the Blazers. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, Andrew, the first week of Wheel of Fandom, I would say wild success. Wild success. I, I would say it's the reason why they got off to such a hot start. I would expect a fall off. I'm, uh, you know, we recording this on Thursday. I, I expect a loss against Houston now that the, oh, wow. uh, the, wheel, the wheel has done its job. Uh, so we have 28 teams left. We, we took off the Pacers, of course, and took off the Blazers. So still a ton of options. Let's spin the wheel and see who our second team will be, who is guaranteed at least a 75% winning percentage. It will be the Milwaukee oh. Bucks. That seems like an accurate statement from, <laughs> from what you just <laughs> said. The Bucks have been awesome. Giannis has been on fire. It's been so good, man. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I would uh, kind of count on the Bucks being a very, very good team. Yeah, let's see this who, week. Let's see who the Bucks are playing this week. Are we getting anything good? We are getting on Friday night home against the New York Knicks. Pretty good. The Knicks okay. themselves off yep. to a hot start. Uh, Saturday, back to back at home against the Atlanta Hawks. And then two games, Monday and Wednesday, at home. This is a four game homestand. This is actually a six game homestand against the yeah. Detroit Pistons. Who okay. Are, are struggling yeah. a little bit right now. Struggling. So we'll see what happens. They'll have two shots <laughs> to beat the Bucks. <laughs> oh man. Uh, go leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do that, we'll read it on the show. Uh, this one comes from PewDiePie Burner Account. It says Goaded Show Saturday Slam and Jam. Andrew versus the Beat is an all time classic podcast segment. Thank you so much for that review again if you go leave us a review we'll read it right here on the podcast so please do that hope you guys have a great weekend and enjoy the basketball and we'll talk to you guys again next saturday